Thank you so much for checking out the Connect Church podcast. We hope you're encouraged and inspired by this week's sermon. So let's jump right in and check out this week's message. Connect Church. Man, what a joy it is to gather together today uh, to make much of Jesus. For those of you who are physically here, but also to the many, I know, listen, I know COVID's strong in our community, along with a lot of other things. Uh, but for those of you who are joining us online, we are glad you are with us here uh, today. So good to be here together. Now, I want to celebrate this as we get ready to, to dive back in in God's Word. Last week, expositionally, we walked through Luke chapter 15. And this week is going to serve as a little bit of a, an amendment to that. A little bit of an add-on to that today as we study God's Word. We have so much to celebrate. But also something really good from this past weekend. I don't know if y'all saw this, but watch. This is the SEC. You know who's on top of the SEC? Tennessee Volunteers, right? Now, this was Thursday, okay? Nobody had played yet. But the Vols are on top. Let's give the Lord a man praise there. Lord only knows what could have happened from that moment uh, on, but I'm so grateful we got us a victory. So glad college football is back, and man, seeing people in the stands is pretty cool. Really glad to be here today. You know, last week we launched our Who's Your One campaign. We launched our Who's Your One challenge. We dove deep into Luke chapter 15. We began to write names on cards of people who would serve to be our one. We took out Sharpies. And on a ping pong ball, we began to write the initials of our ones and to put it on a wall. We took a white ping pong ball. And there, it would serve their initials as a reminder to pray for our one. You see, last week we began a search and rescue operation for the lost sheep. For the person who finds himself lost and apart from Christ. And in this search and rescue operation, last week we left the 99 right here in the life of our church. And we began to go after our one, much like the shepherd did in Luke chapter 15. We went after our one, and we continue to go after our one through praying for them, through serving them, by having gospel conversations with them. And you know what we do this Sunday? The very same thing again. Launch yet again a search and rescue operation for R1. And you may be asking this morning, maybe you didn't catch us last week, but, but really, who is your one? What is this all about? It is the one person who is lost apart from Christ that God has brought into your life. Hey, maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a coworker. Maybe it's a classmate. Maybe it's a teammate. Maybe it's a community member. Or maybe it's just a recent stranger. But it is that one person that God has brought into your life that you have an influence in and over. And so today, as we launched last week, who's your one? Here's my challenge to you, church, today. You ready? It's time to win your one. When we answer the question of who's our one, it is time that as a body of Christ as believers, that you and I, it's time we win our one. And so the question arises out of last week's text, out of this challenge that we have before us of who's your one. In this search and rescue operation, the simple question is, how do we win our one? So how do we win our one? Can I just give you some practical, some practical ways that you and I can win our one? 
And maybe it would serve in this search and rescue operation. Here's the first thing. You ready? Well, how to win your one? We must identify our one and the one. And here's what I mean. That if we're going to win our one, we must identify who our one is. But we must also identify the only one who can save our one. Let me say it again. You've got to identify your one. But you must also identify the only one who can save your one. Let's talk about identifying our one. What is the criteria for identifying our one? You ready? Alone, the leading of the Holy Spirit of God. Church, hear me. We identify our one through the leading of His Holy Spirit. It's not like you and I step out to Walmart and go, man, that person looks really lost. Or that person looks like they're going to hell. Or maybe you come up to somebody, no teeth, a mullet, and an Alabama jersey on, and you go, man, they gotta be, they gotta be lost. I'm not making eye contact with my in-laws because it just hurts, right? Man, what is the what is the very criteria? You ready? We don't just look at people and see what they're made of. And go, ah, they're lost. They, they ought to be my one. Rather, church. This is so important. We identify our one by asking the Holy Spirit to bring someone to our heart, bring them to the forefront of our mind, bring them across our path. God, show us our one. You know, we see Jesus do this oftentimes in the life of Scripture in your Bibles. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 9 together. In the Gospel of Matthew chapter 9, we see a pretty incredible encounter Jesus has. Now remember, all of this is being preached in light of Luke 15 last week. Watch this encounter with the lost sheep that Jesus has. Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 9. The Bible says this, that as Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And the Bible says, that old boy rose and followed him. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, I love this, Jesus walks by and says, hey, buddy, follow me. The next thing we see is Jesus is sitting reclined at his house. The Bible says this. As Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, Jesus spoke up. Those who are well have no need of a physician but those who are sick. And later on he would say this, for I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. And what we find in Matthew chapter 9 that day, as Jesus walked beside one of the most despised, one of the most despicable places that he could, a tax collector's booth, we find in Matthew chapter 9, that day, at that time, Jesus had his one. His name, Matthew. Now, consider this. Matthew was a tax collector. Matthew wasn't the one to any self-respecting Jew or really to any Christ follower at that time. But he was Jesus' one. Matthew, a Jew rejected by his own people with a reputation that couldn't have been worse. And religiously, there was no place in anyone's mind in any religion, religious person's mind for Matthew in the kingdom of God. And yet we find something out about Jesus that I really love. That there's no such thing 
to Jesus as an impossible one. There is no such thing to Jesus as an unreachable one. There is no such thing as an untouchable one when it comes to Jesus. And here in Matthew chapter 9, in this moment, in this time, Jesus had found his one. And a tax collector by the name of Matthew. And what's amazing is Jesus identifies his one as you and I engage in identifying our one. We must not only identify them, but it's important that we identify the only one who can save our one. Hey, church, can I, can I remind you of this and also alleviate some concern for you? You can't save anybody. Hey, you don't have the power to save anyone, and neither do I. But here's what we can do is that we can begin to position people through identifying them, by initiating friendships, by engaging them and inviting them to follow Jesus. We can begin to position people to the very place where God will save them if they let him. We have the joy and the responsibility of doing just that. You know, I got to thinking about the fact that Jesus Really, he's the only one who can save. In fact, it's not only the work of Christ, but the Trinity all together come together in this incredibly beautiful picture of salvation. Think of all he does. You ready? First of all, God the Father, by his grace, meaning him giving to us that which we do not deserve, by his grace, provides salvation for anyone. Romans 5, 8 reminds us. God, the Son, Jesus, by faith, gives salvation to anyone who believes. John 3, 16 reminds us. God, the Holy Spirit, seals anyone and serves to empower that one to live out their faith, Ephesians 1, 13. And you look at all that and you go, if he could do all that, really, I have no part to play. Hey, what can I bring to the table when, when the Lord has so much to offer, what part can I play? Yeah, I love this quote. It's an old quote that says this, that the only thing that I contributed to my salvation was my sin. Hey, the only thing you and I contributed to our salvation in Christ is our sin. And Jesus took care of of the rest. So what part do we play in this gospel playing out in the lives of people? And by the way, can I remind you of what the gospel is? The very good news of God who created us, sent his son Jesus, God in the flesh to die upon the cross for our sin, to empty the grave and to save us from the very sin that separates us from him. What part do we have to play in this good news of God? I didn't come up with the idea of salvation. God did. We can't save anyone Jesus did. We can't even sell anyone. That's the Holy Spirit. But here's the part you and I get to play, is we get to be a part of the joyful obedience it is to the command, the commission, the calling, and the celebration of every believer in Christ. And that is to identify, to initiate a friendship, to engage, and to invite people to follow Jesus. This command our commission and calling, the very celebration of every believer is obedience to the command of Christ found in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission. I read a study the other day that more than half the church sitting in pews have no idea what the Great Commission is. 
Guys, I'm going to tell you something. That's terrible. So, just in case you don't know what it is today, let me read it out loud for you so you can hear it. You ready? Jesus speaking to the disciples after his resurrection says, Therefore, go. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always, to the very end of the age. Guys, who's your one? Winning your one begins in identifying who's your Matthew today. Who's your one? But all the more identifying the only one who can save your one. Is Jesus. Last week we launched this campaign, this challenge, as you guys well know. And on Sunday, I saw a really cool Facebook post. Now, now listen to me, Laura and her daughter Malika, they, they left our service last Sunday. They went out to our next steps tent. Pastor David was there and they asked for a Bible for her one. You see, her one had just recently been put in the hospital and got some really bad news. And here's what I saw later on that afternoon. Here's Laura's post. We went and prayed and sang for my friend Laura. She was given some very bad news this week, but good news is, watch this, you ready? We nailed down her salvation today, and she knows the great physician. And she begins to thank the church and the Lord for what he had done. Guys, listen, this video right here is of her daughter Malika, who she adopted, singing to Laura, her friend in the hospital bed, the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what's amazing last week? Laura and Malika identified their one, and guess what they did? They went out and won their one to faith and trust in Jesus Christ. Yeah, I love it. We win our one by identifying. You know what I love she did? She left the 99 last Sunday. Now, there was some good stuff took place, important and vital stuff of the body of Christ last Sunday. But she left the 99, and she went after the one. Church, it doesn't get any better. It doesn't get any better than that. Here's the second thing you and I can do in the practical ways by which we can win our one. You ready? And it's this. We initiate a friendship with your one. Now, now listen, some of y'all may say, hey, my one who's apart from Christ I'm already friends with them. So here's the challenge. Deepen and strengthen your friendship with them all the more. Maybe your one is a little bit new to you. Begin a friendship. Do you all know some of the craziest things you and I could begin and build friendships over? You can begin and build a friendship over even small, minute things in life. In fact, Jeff Murphy, he's working this camera right here in the middle. Uh, Jeff's a dear friend of mine. We serve the Lord together. He's not my one because he's already in Christ. I love serving the Lord with him. But you know one of my favorite part of our relationship? You know what we do together? We text each other funny memes of food. All the time. Listen, a big part of our relationship is texting. I mean, can I just give you the past two we did? Um, th this was for me. His is much better. Last week, my doctor said I have to eat more fish. That's bacon with fish eyes on them. Um, and so we said that. Now, here's my favorite. He said this last week, too. This is really good. My second attempt at making a salad. I don't know what I'm doing wrong, and he reached out to me for help. Jeff, nothing. You're doing absolutely nothing wrong. That is exactly how a salad should look and taste, right? But Jeff and I, we have this friendship, and you know what? It's more than this. 
But friendships can begin and build on a host of things, something that you're just, you find yourself in common with somebody else. And what's amazing is, is winning your one means initiating a friendship with your one. Let's venture together, if we could, to Jericho. Take your Bibles, Luke chapter 19. And beginning in verse 5, what we begin to see here is as Jesus is coming into Jericho, there are crowds of people. But there's one particular man who happens to be a little bit vertically challenged and finds himself up in a sycamore tree. To get a better view of Jesus, but also guess what? If you're a hated tax collector, nobody's going to jab you in the side with a dagger and take you out in a crowd of people. So it's also a place he could be safe. And there he is. Watch it from the nosebleed section as Jesus comes into town. And can I tell you something I love about Jesus? One of my favorite things about him is that even when Jesus walked into crowds of people, he saw the people in the crowd. And he saw Zacchaeus. Again, no self-respecting Jew. Zacchaeus would never be their one. Not even a follower of Christ at the time would Zacchaeus ever pop up on their radar to be a one in which Jesus could do great things through. And here's what the Bible says. So when Jesus reached the spot, look at this in verse 5. He looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. You know what this sounds like to me? When your mama sees you climbing on something, he's like, get down here. Get down right now. You know, I can imagine Jesus having that attitude with Zacchaeus. Jesus says, I must stay at your house today. And so he came down at once and he welcomed him gladly, the Bible says. And all the people saw this and they began to mutter. Can't stand muttering. He's gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said, Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man is too a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. There Jesus is, Luke chapter 19, walking into Jericho. And his one is hanging out in a tree. And Jesus begins to invite him into a friendship, to initiate a friendship with him. Jesus winds up at his house. I love that with both Matthew and Zacchaeus. Is that Jesus winds up in their home and both of them by faith follow Jesus. Hey, because I'm reminded when I look up in the tree and I see Zacchaeus that there's no such thing as an impossible one. There's no such thing as an unreachable one. There's no such thing as an untouchable one when it comes to Jesus. You know, a couple weeks ago, I think, David, last month we got to baptize over 30 folks. Just an incredible, incredible month. Came across this two weeks ago after our baptism from Kayla and Austin. She just posted this on Facebook. Guys, listen. <laughs> it's so hard to find good stuff on there. So when I do, I'm snapping a screenshot and we're sharing it. She says, let me tell you about my yesterday and all our friends, Tyler and Leslie Best. She begins to talk about them. I got the chance to baptize Tyler. She began to talk about how she worked with her. And a few months ago, they invited her and Tyler to church. And she writes, they came and fell in love with Connect just as Austin and I had. Tyler's parents started coming, and all of them feel like family now. One Sunday, Tyler accepted Jesus as his Savior and took his relationship public yesterday through baptism. I'm so excited to have another friend in heaven one day. We love these two. 
so much. And you know what I loved about that? As I was baptizing Tyler, I was reminded that I did nothing to get him here. I was reminded of the very small part I played. Listen, I was faithful to preaching the gospel. That's a big deal. But the fact that Kayla and her husband befriended them and loved on them and cared for them led to the day that he sat underneath the preaching of the gospel. And by the way, that lamb could preach the gospel and people would be saved. And he gave his heart and his life to Jesus. And it changed everything for him. Hey, church, who's your one? When you're one. We do so by identifying them. Identifying the only one who can save By initiating a friendship with them. And by engaging your one. How do we engage our one? What's one of the most powerful ways we can engage our one? You ready, church? By carrying them to Jesus through prayer. Max Lucado once wrote this. Our prayers may be awkward. Our attempts may be feeble. But since the power of prayer is in the one who hears it and not in the one who says it, our powers do make, our prayers do make a difference. And so do the prayers for our one make all the difference in the world. And it's time that you and I pray one of the most dangerous and powerful prayers of all. God, use me. James chapter 5, verse 16. The prayer of a righteous man availeth much, has great power, as one translation says, in its working. And although the context of that, te- that text is the healing from someone who's sick physically, deathly ill physically, there are incredible prayer applications for how God wants to heal people spiritually as well. Who's your one? That you're praying, God, open the eyes of their heart that they may see Him. Who's the one that you're praying that God would remove the obstacles that have been set up so that they can see that they need Him? Who is your one? And lastly, once we identify Him, once we initiate that friendship, once we engage our one, in prayer, it's time to invite your one to follow Jesus. You see, Matthew was invited by Jesus to follow him, and he did. Zacchaeus was invited by Jesus to follow him, and he did. Jesus constantly invited people to follow him. And hear me, many didn't. Some didn't. By the way, that's the outcome of your one as well. Maybe many will come, and some won't. But Jesus, all the more, continued to invite people to follow him, to place their faith and their trust in him. In fact, let me share this with you. Today, Jesus is still inviting people to follow him through you and through me, through us. Our job is to be faithful in identifying our one, initiating a friendship with them, engaging them through prayer and inviting them to follow Jesus place their faith and trust in him through gospel conversations. And you might be sitting there going, what's a gospel conversation? What does a gospel conversation do? You see, gospel conversations are found in the normal conversations of friendship. A gospel conversation is when you turn a conversation to Jesus. Paul Washer wrote this one time talking about evangelism and gospel conversations, he says, what you do is you begin to go around the whole rim of somebody's life through conversation. 
And what happens is, is you find a crack, a broken place in that conversation in their life. And it's there that you begin to engage them in good news. Where you interject the gospel and you share the good news of Jesus. The gospel conversations when you go around the rim of somebody's life. Find the broken place and give them Jesus. And give them Jesus. You know, you might be sitting there going, that probably looks good on paper. That sounds good in a sermon. But what does this look like played out in real life? How does this look in real life? Not really. Now is as good time as any. Come on. That's good. And David had a chair. This is great. Come on over, man. Thanks, thanks, David. Hey, man, have a seat. David, could you hand me my iPad there, please? Buddy, come on down. Thankfully, that was not my iPad. Just the stand. Thank you. Hey, man, listen. How are things? How are things going with you? How's work? All that good stuff. How's your mom doing? I know we've been praying for her. Okay. That's good. Okay, that's good. Glad she's doing well. <laughs> yeah, I know how that is. <laughs> that's good. That's good. I love it. Love it. I did. I did. Yeah. Yeah. You know, honestly, there's so much at play. There's, you know, we know the enemies at work. We know that politics are at work. We know there's a lot of things that go into this. And, man, it's just hard to trust anything. And, I mean, how, how are you holding up on all this? I know it's, it's different for a lot of people, but I know a lot of people kind of, man, find themselves maybe even for the first time in their life feel some fear and anxiety and... Yeah. 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 It does. I listen. I, in all honesty, I mean, I'm I'm right in the thick of it. I know a lot of people who've died from COVID. I know a lot of people who are sick, and even today, who are sick, who battled. Uh, really hard, and, and it is, man, at best, it's a scary time. It's a troubling time. But this is some of the things that you and I kind of talked about from here, uh, from time to time here and there, is that, you know, that's why I'm so grateful for my faith 
in Jesus. I'm so grateful for Jesus. You know, Paul writes to the Philippian church, and he says this in Philippians 3.20, that our citizenship is, is not really here on earth. This is not our home, but our citizenship lies in heaven, and we eagerly await a Savior from there. And it's a reminder to me that my hope isn't in my home here in East Tennessee on this old planet, but that I'm my citizenship, my home is with Jesus in heaven forever. And so that tends to drive out, his perfect love tends to drive out this fear and a lot of times this anxiety that I would wrestle with in a worldwide pandemic where, man, truth's hard to find and it's hard to make sense of anything. That's why I've loved our times together because, you know, really I'd love just to take a minute or two and share with you the most important part of my life and that's that's faith in Jesus what, and really what he's done in my life and, and why it is that I can even face a, a pandemic without being overcome or overwhelmed by fear. And it's all right. Can I just share with you just for, uh, you know, the Bible teaches us this. Probably the most famous of all passages, if you turn on ESPN, somebody in the crowd's holding up a sign with John 3.16. But for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that, that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. And man, I'm a whosoever. I'm the one who believed in him. And because of that, man, he not only saved my life, but he gave me, he gave me new life. And his love has driven out fear. And I have hope that lasts long beyond this home here on earth, but a hope that's found in in heaven, and you know, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of different ways people believe. We've talked about that a little bit. A lot of different belief systems. But I'm reminded of Jesus in John 14, 6, where he says, that I'm the way, the truth, and man, truth. Who do you believe? I mean, from social media to our news to our politicians, man, truth is nowhere to be found except for in one place, in one person. And Jesus said, I'm the way the truth, and the life that no man comes unto the Father except by me. And I'm going to tell you, I've come to the Father through Jesus. And in him I have found life, and I have found hope, and I have found peace. And one of my favorite passages of Scripture that I've committed to memory is Romans 5.8, that God demonstrated his love for us in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That means, don't look, he looked into the ugliest and the darkest and the the most secret parts of my life, of my rebellion against him. And he loved me there. And he sent Jesus to die for me. Jesus came up out of that grave. And I don't know, man, that's where life is found. For me, life is found in Jesus. Can I, I'm going to look up a passage for you, okay? I'm going to share this with you. Um, in Revelation chapter 21, uh, we get a picture painted of heaven. And, uh, and it's really cool because the end game of my faith is not heaven, it's Jesus. But this is what it looks like to be with him forever. And I heard a loud voice, the Bible says, from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. And watch this, he'll wipe every tear from their eyes. Then death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore nor COVID anymore, nor ventilators. Praise God, no more politics or posts on social media. No more untruth, but only truth. And he says this, that he who is seated on the throne said, Behold, I'm making all things new. 
And I'm going to tell you something. How I know that's true is because he's made me new. Dominic, man, I've been meaning to ask you. I've been wanting to ask you. Are you ready to follow Jesus? Are you ready to, to place your faith and, and trust in him? Let, let him make all things new in your life. And you know what? My one just gave me an open door to lead him to faith and trust in Jesus. Now, I may sit down with my one and he might say, man, you know what? I, I just, I'm not there yet. I just, I, it's not for me. And you know what he just did by doing that? Gave me a thousand more open doors to share the gospel with him. To go around the rim of his life, and today it was covid Tomorrow it'll be something else to find that broken place in that crack and to interject the gospel. Guys, this is what a gospel conversation looks like. Four scriptures that I memorized less than a full sentence. And just sharing with him what Christ has done for me. It's not standing under lights at a pulpit screaming at anybody. It's over coffee. It's sitting across the table from someone and loving him enough to give him Jesus. That's what a gospel conversation is. You know, years ago, uh, back in November of 2016, for many of you, that date pops in your mind immediately. I was living in Charlotte, Alvin. We were down where in Indian Trail serving the Lord together. Les and Karis, I was still your youth pastor, and Ashton's still your guys' youth pastor. And I was home on a weekend with Aaron and some of the kids, and we were... Uh, we were just visiting my mother and father-in-law and my mom, and we were staying at their house. Well, that day, it was important for us to be in Gatlinburg because we had a cabin up there that we were going to stay at, just me and Aaron. We were leaving the kids. Freedom! You know, it was just a, we're so excited. Aaron woke up that morning, and although it was, it confounded me, it seems very providential. She said, Anthony, let's just stay here tonight. Let's not go into Gatlinburg. Let's just stay here tonight. So, okay, I will do that. So we drove to Seymour that afternoon and had dinner with my, my brother who's a pastor in Seymour, and um, he's at a church there, skinny jeans and a V-neck, and uh, we don't talk to him much. But anyway, we were eating at his house, and, uh, and uh, all of a sudden I looked out on Chapman Highway and I saw emergency vehicles heading towards Sevierville. And not just one or two, and not just the couple that make up the Seymour volunteer. I mean, guys, it was dozens and I thought to myself, what in the world's going on? And so I did what anybody does for great news. I went to Facebook, and I saw some of my Facebook friends driving down roads that were consumed by fire. And so we left, and we took some backways because a lot of the main arteries around Sevierville were beginning to clog up from people evacuating Gatlinburg and some of the Pigeon Forge area. And Aaron and I actually got close to part of the fire, and got stuck in traffic, and, and man, I, I broke every law to get us out of it and get back home where Eric and Daniel, you'll remember the house is filling up with smoke um, from the wildfires. That afternoon, or that evening, 
a couple pastors from this area. Of course, it's my hometown. And so they called and said, hey, listen, we're going to the hospital and praying with people who come in. Um, casualties from the fire. Would you like to join us? And I said, absolutely. So I drove to LeConte, and, and I prayed with so many people who were injured and as they wrecked vehicles or trying to get away from the fire. And that night, I left the hospital, and it was probably around 2 or 3 a.m., and I just drove around Sevier County. By that time, everybody was in bed except for our heroes on the front line fighting the fires, and that's what they were concerned about. So I was able to drive all over Pigeon Forge, Gatlinburg, and Sevierville, and I watched the flames light up the entire night sky. It was terrifying. Aaron and I were praying through God's call in our life to come home and plant this church. And as I drove that night, I saw the fire. And I'll never forget being overwhelmed by this thought. There's a fate worse than this. For my hometown, there's a, there's a faith that's far scarier, far more troubling, far more destructive than even these fires that took so much from so many. And that, that thought just began to overwhelm me, and I got to thinking about the people in our own hometown who would close their eyes in death and step out into an eternity without Jesus. And I thought to myself, not on my watch. And so what sealed in my heart that night was the fact that there were many ones in our community who don't know Jesus. 75,000 people today in our small community who are in nobody's church. And so we came we planted Connect Church with this challenge of who's your one and church together to do everything we can to win our one for Jesus Christ. Church, who's your one? Now win your one. Thank you again for checking out our podcast. Be sure to subscribe so you can stay up to date on our services. If you'd like to give to support our ministry, you can do that at our website. That's connectchurchpf.com. Hope you enjoyed and have a great week.